get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Hope you had a great weekend. Glad to have you with us with Carriker and Smallman on this Monday morning on 101 ESPN. A, a partial reopening for St. Louis today. We've got gyms opening up. We've got more people in the office today. What else? I think something else is opening up, too. You had me at gyms, Randy. I don't know if you noticed. I came in with two bags today. I did. I had my regular work bag, and we have a gym bag in the mix. So right. it's an exciting first day, but I'm also very nervous because this buddy has not seen an exercise in a while, Randy. <laughs> but it's, it's necessary, not- and I'm I'm excited. Not that kind of... You've been running, and so you've stayed socially distanced in shape. Which is not enough. <laughs> it is not enough. So Michelle's headed to the gym today. Yay! Yes, I'm so excited. And I'm sure a lot of people in St. Louis are excited, too. It's just yeah. one more step back to, to normal. And be safe, social distance, and mm-hmm. uh, wear your mask and all of that stuff. It's 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Hope you had a good weekend. I did. It was beautiful weather here in St. Louis. It was one of those perfect St. Louis summer weekends mm-hmm. where it was warm, not a cloud in the sky. The humidity hadn't crept in yet. It was, it was really good. How about you? I did everything that we drafted for the weekend draft on Friday. Everything? So, oh, yeah. I went to Soulard and I made a stir-fry on Saturday night, nice. played a couple of rounds of golf, went for a bike ride, did Father's Day shopping. Yeah. For yourself? Yeah. <laughs> what did you buy you, Randy? I didn't buy me anything. I just I was browsing and looking. Oh, okay. You were uh, crowdsourcing ideas for you. Exactly. And did you land on anything specific that you may I, want to be gifted? I think, uh, uh, yeah. I think I, I might wind up with some new wedges. Oh, wow. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to you. Yeah, thank you very much. And that's coming up on Sunday. And we'll talk about Father's Day throughout the course of the week. And uh, normally... Father's Day is a celebration of dads, and part of it includes baseball. Well, it won't include baseball in 2020. However, even though we don't have any negotiations, we did get progress during the weekend. It's not very happy progress, but Tony Clark, the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, wrote to Rob Manfred and the Major League Negotiating Committee, Further dialogue with the league would be futile. It's time to get back to work. Tell us when and where. And, Michelle, I'm thinking maybe 50 to 60 game season. I'm thinking normal playoffs. And I'm thinking a very distinct possibility that on the very same day or maybe within two days of each other, hockey training camp and baseball spring training will start together. Maybe July 10th and 11th, something like that. So we'll have uh, training camps and then probably hockey and baseball in St. Louis both getting underway right around the same date. And while that sounds great, you know, those words coming out of your mouth, Randy, sounds so sweet. Hockey and baseball back at the same time. I am not pleased at how we've arrived to this juncture. I am not pleased that the MLBPA and the owners had to get to this point where it seems like no one is happy and they're going to be forced to play. And I am very concerned about what the product is going to yeah. look like when they do resume play. Players will not be happy. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But as far as the negotiations are concerned, I think one thing we all need to remember as we traverse life is that while there have to be people where you say, that person's really smart. Whitey Herzog, that person is really smart. Tony Russo. There also have to be dumbest people in the world, Mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. 
And the people that are in charge of these negotiations are among the dumbest (laughs) people in the world. They can't figure out how to split up billions, literally billions of dollars between themselves. How can you not figure that out? Unless you're really dumb or really greedy or both. I was going to say, I don't know if it's, uh, I guess being greedy is partially dumb, mm-hmm. especially when what is at stake here. You got, that's the thing. I, I, I still get both sides. I understand portions of both sides of the argument, but I think the bigger picture has to be taken into account. And the fact that both sides are being greedy and both sides are being short-sighted and both sides are not considering the fans and the viability of their product and the way that this is playing out in the court of public opinion does lead me to believe, Randy, that both sides are, are a shade dumb. Yeah. Remember we had Greg Amsinger on the show? I think it was the first or second week we were doing the show. And he thought, yeah, it was the first week. And he thought and had sources that told him that baseball would have an announcement to resume play on May 15th, a month ago today. (laughs) They should have had a plan in place to start training camp on June 10th last week and start the season on the 4th of July weekend. How they can't do that is remarkable. Jeff Passan of ESPN saying that we're going to have a season and now it's going to come down to this. Rob Manfred and others have talked about a season in the range of 48, 50 games, somewhere in that neighborhood. But at this point, the, uh, the league could come back to the union and say, okay, you have a choice. We're going to put on either a 48 or 50 game season with a regular amount of playoffs, or we're going to put on a maybe 60 or 62 game season with expanded playoffs. You players choose. And this seems to be the end game at this point where we finally figure out just how much baseball is going to be played. Based on what Rob Manfred and baseball have said, a 60-game season with expanded playoffs, to me, takes you beyond October, right? Yes. I don't think they can do that. If they're really concerned about health and a second wave of the coronavirus, how can they do 60 games, which would presumably start in August, so that's August and September, and expanded expanded playoffs, which would take you at least until the second week of November? Yeah, I'm. Just, what's your guess? 50? 50? Yeah, I, I think that 40, one, something in there? I, I would think that... That 48 to 50 game schedule with regular playoffs is probably what we're talking about. And how do you feel about that? Because I remember at the beginning of this, maybe three weeks into no sports, we said, I don't care what it looks like. We'll take it. But now that we've seen how the sausage is made, Mm -hmm. when we're going to eat the hot dog, is it going to taste as good? It it depends on if you win or not. If you win the World Series, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I'll take that. You're like Cal Naughton Jr. at the end of Talladega Nights, <laughs> right? It's, I don't care about any technicality. I'm taking this win. If you're not first, you're last, Randy. Exactly. That's all that matters. But if you're a team that goes 25 and 25 and so you, the team that wins the World Series, you say, well, that's, that, that's an asterisk. That's not real. The only people that are going to say that it's a legit season are the fans and the players and the management of the team that wins the World Series. And I think even in a brutally honest moment, even that fan base would say, yeah, it doesn't really feel right. In a brutally honest moment. A bru- brutally but, honest moment. But they don't, uh, unless they're drunk, they don't reach those. It's kind of like Astros fans with 2017. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they say, oh, yeah, it was legit. Our guys were, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. Well, yeah, he kind of did. 
What if the Astros win, Randy? What if they were supposed to go oh, on the shame tour and then they outskirt that and they win the World Series this year? That would be the worst. It would be the worst. Yeah, nobody would like that. No. Meanwhile, as baseball has these clashes, Michelle, it's good to see that uh, everything is kumbaya between all the NBA players as they try to return to work. I know. I need to... Take a deep breath before we start talking about this because I have a lot of conflicting emotions about the news coming out of the NBA this weekend. Okay, the NBA seemed like they were well on their way to having training camp and getting things going in Orlando. Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets, who gets hurt a lot and has a bad shoulder, had shoulder surgery, and is not going to play anymore this season, held a conference call with about 80 NBA players from the NBA and WNBA, and... Players including Chris Paul, the president of the union, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, Donovan Mitchell, and Dwight Howard heard Kyrie say, I'm not so sure we should play. He said, I don't support going to Orlando. I'm not with the systemic racism and blanking. Something smells a little fishy. I'm willing to give up everything I have for social reform. So I appreciate the if you, if you break it all down, I appreciate the initial message. Can I add something quick here? Of course. In a call the week before, Kyrie was asking about the availability of hot tubs yes, in Orlando correct, and correct. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. And about uh, alcoholic beverages yeah. from a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so if you break it all down to just the messaging, I understand what he's saying. And I understand why so many NBA players would at least be open to hearing what he's having to say. We're in a very pivotal moment in American history right now where the Black Lives Matter movement, social injustice, racism in America, systemic racism, all of these things are at the forefront of all of our conversations. We are we are feeling a shift in America where it seems like people are paying attention and this is a real chance to enact some change. And so I respect the fact that NBA players in a predominantly black league are saying, hey, we know that when we come back to work, the news is all going to be about who did what in a game tonight. We are going to take the spotlight away from something very important that affects our communities. I get all of that. But to have Kyrie Irving being the one to lead this charge doesn't make me feel like it's the right move. And no disrespect to Kyrie, but do you really have confidence that Kyrie will enact a plan that seems like it will help the players reach the goals that they want as far as social injustice reform? Based on his history, I would suggest no. Right. And... I, I hope that conversations are ongoing because here's what I worry about. We are so hungry for team sports. We have a hard date for the NBA's return. And while we're seeing all this progress, and these are conversations people need to have, I worry if the NBA players do not play because of this movement, that it is going to then be a negative connotation towards this movement. People, instead of being so open and understanding and wanting to, to do their part to help move things forward in this country, that they're going to be like, oh, this is why we didn't get basketball. I'm mad now. We're every rational person, we, you and I, and every rational person is in favor of social justice reform. We don't want unarmed black men and women being murdered. Nobody does. And I'm glad that people like Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis and NBA players are voicing their opinions. But why do we care about their opinions? Why would anybody care about the the opinions of Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis? Is it because they were students at Duke and Kentucky, respectively? No. It's for one reason. It's because they play 
basketball. Mm -hmm. And that will give them the platform. If they aren't playing basketball, Kyrie is kind of already a non-entity as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. I don't what what it, uh, Kyrie is a flat earther. <laughs> Are people really going to say, "Oh yeah, what what he's saying makes sense?" Because nothing that he has said so far makes sense. Not that it's a bad thing. I'm not denigrating flat earthers, but it's just not the normal mainstream opinion, right? So right. what he says about social justice doesn't carry as much weight for me as what an Anthony Davis or especially a LeBron James would say. Absolutely. And when they return to play, all eyes in the world are going to be on them. Yeah. And I would think that if they return to play and use that platform while they're playing to further this message, it would be a hundred times more effective than it would if they didn't play for this movement to continue and the spotlight to be on that. They need to realize that by them playing, that is their platform to make their voices heard. You just hit the nail right on the head. And I wonder if Adam Silver gets on a call with Kyrie and says, okay, you got your hot tubs, if he's good. <laughs> Kyrie, you're not playing anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why are you even there? And I and I part part of me is saying this selfishly because I want to watch the NBA return. Mm -hmm. But the other part of me is saying this from a pragmatic standpoint because I do support what they're trying to do, and I do know that if they don't play, the anger from fans is going to overwhelm the message, and that is not the goal that they're trying to reach. Bingo. And just to reiterate our point. We, Social justice reform is important in our country. We have to advance ourselves that way. But I don't, and I think this is what we're both saying, nothing is advanced if the NBA players don't play. They, they don't carry much weight, I don't think, if they aren't participating in their sport. No. And I would think if you're the NBA, too, and you have a commissioner like Adam Silver, who you know is 100% on your side in this, and mm -hmm. that he wants to collaborate with you, he wants to elevate your voices, he wants to say, hey, what do you feel about Black Lives Matter? How how can I help make this a megaphone for you? Whatever the players wanted to do during the games, even if, think mm -hmm. about this, you know that they're going to be mic'd up, and you know that they're going to have post-game interviews. What if they simply said, anytime that we talk on a microphone, it's going to be about Black Lives Matter? You know, if somebody said Says, hey, LeBron, amazing game. How do you feel after the game? And he's like, well, I want to talk about Breonna Taylor. You know, that that to me would, would be so much more powerful than not playing. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Long Gone Summer finally aired last night on ESPN. We'll give you our reaction. And throughout the day, we want to hear yours. We'll tell you what we want to hear from you next on 101 ESPN. Over the last couple of weeks, as we talked about Long Gone Summer and uh, talked to the people that actually made the film, we heard that there were some pretty good stories that would come out that we really hadn't heard before. And we had the good fortune of talking to Mark McGuire and heard a couple of the stories on Thursday. But it was really interesting, Michelle, to watch Long Gone Summer last night and have everything that uh, those guys, especially A.J. Schnock, the director of the film, who's from Edwardsville and is a Mizzou guy, have those stories finally be told to us. It was very cool. Is there any story that was told that you were really shocked or surprised by? I, I was, and McGuire told us about the last weekend that I, I knew that he was gassed emotionally, but I didn't know that he was gassed physically and emotionally. And the fact that he, he wanted to shut her down really was surprising to me. 
with a game, two games left. You yeah. know, the finish line is so close. You would think that you could just mentally power through the fact that he needed Tony Larusa to say, hey, I got to write you in, but I'll watch you. It tells yeah. you how, how mentally just done he was. And I don't know if they had the story. I was bummed out that they didn't if they had it. Was they did about a minute on him getting thrown out of that August, I think, 27th game against Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And that was on a Saturday afternoon. The next day, they have a Sunday night game against the Braves. And before that game was when the Jack Buck statue was dedicated. And Jack, there was a huge throng there because it was right before the game. So you've got 20,000 people there for Jack's statue uh, dedication. And Jack says to the group, when the umpires take the field, give them a standing ovation. Umpires take the field. This is the day after McGuire had been thrown out on a Sunday night. Umpires take the field. Standing ovation from the Cardinal fans. The power of Jack. Gosh. I loved hearing his voice so much last night and seeing the videos of him. And, you know, I know, Randy, you had a close relationship with him, but... I, I unfortunately never got to meet Jack, but he feels like such a big presence in my life because he was the voice of, of my, my Cardinals baseball. He was the voice of my summers. You know, I loved the way they introduced him into the dock last night. It was the reenactment of a family just driving down a, a road, cornfields out the window, mm-hmm. listening to Jack Buck on the radio. Because for so many of us, that was Jack Buck in our lives. And it's unbelievable. Let's see. Today is the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. The 18th is going to be the 18-year anniversary of his death. 18 years since, since he passed away. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, one of the things that we heard from McGuire last night was one thing that a lot of motivational people tell you to do, to, to write down your goals. I don't know what year it started, but I would like, I would set goals and I would write down these numbers of what I wanted to accomplish. And I would put it in my safe in my home in Southern California and I wouldn't look at it until the season's over with. I had in my mind what I knew I had to average. I had to average over 10 home runs a month, which is hard to do. But I really thought that it could be done. Well, I, I think we're as close as we can be family-wise. I, I, I never I never knew he, he had made that list and had it in the safe. I never knew that until right now. But that's another measure of his awareness of his potential, the expectations, and the reality. And then he, he gets off to that start. See, Michelle, if you write it down, it'll happen. So what should we write down, Randy, that the Blues are going to win the Stanley Cup again? They have to be our goals. Oh, so that, but that, that is we my will cover goal. a Stanley Cup champion <laughs> oh, okay. in 2020. Okay, yeah, we have to really just reframe it. <laughs> but think about that—that that he was so aware of it that he wrote. They do say that you should speak things into the universe. Yes, and to say that he would write it down, look at it, lock it up, and then put it away for the season. Imagine going back after the season and unlocking the safe and pulling it out and saying, "Hey, I actually did it. Yeah. I, I wrote this down, I locked it away, and then I did it." And to get to 62, it, that was was 10 a month. So that was clearly something that he was thinking about. Heck, from the time he reached the all-star break of his rookie year, right? When he had, what, 33 home runs or 37 or whatever it was at the all-star break. And people were saying, hey, this is a guy that could break Maris's record. So he was thinking about it from the time he was a young major leaguer. I wish I would have seen the doc before we interviewed him because I would love to ask him if he still has that piece of paper. Oh, yeah. That would be interesting to know. Because when you keep, I would keep it. I would frame it. I would use it as a teaching lesson for my kids. I'd be like, write everything down, put it in a safe, it will come true. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> That'd be great. One of the things that also <laughs> came forth last night is something that we knew about, and he interviewed, he did a lot of interviews before he became the Cardinal hitting coach uh, before the 2010 season. And he had to do those interviews because of steroids. I don't regret, you know, doing it. I mean, the bottom line is if there was a drug testing back then, it would never happen. It would that would have never happened. I don't encourage, I don't want anybody ever to, to follow any footsteps like that, but um, it just, it just, it was a, it sort of sucks. Michelle, as I look back on that era, and we want to hear from people with the Rhino Shield mic drop with the 101 ESPN app, or you can send us a text, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. But as I look back on it, and have the belief that everybody was playing on a level playing field. Not everybody, but most players in baseball were utilizing some sort of performance enhancer. The fact that McGuire hit 70 tells me that he was the best of that particular group. Fernando Tatis hit 37 and finished in the 40s in rankings and home <laughs> runs in 2000 or 2001. Everybody was hitting a lot of home runs, and even when there weren't whispers of steroids or knowledge of steroids. McGuire hit 49 as a rookie. So because the playing field was level, I really don't have an issue. Like he said, there was no rule against it with he or Sosa or Bonds or whoever else utilized performance enhancers utilizing them. That's That was part of the sport at that time and everybody knew it. I agree. I couldn't care less. That doesn't diminish the joy that we felt watching that. I take more, I have more anger towards Major League Baseball, who had no problem turning a blind eye and saying, thank you, McGuire and Sosa, save our sport, put butts in the seats, let us mm-hmm. collect that money, and then all of a sudden, when that's over, and they have gotten what they want out of these players, then it's okay for them to, to admonish them and say, this is bad, we don't want to be connected to this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It, I don't like the convenient judgment for Major League Baseball, and from other fans, too, who enjoyed it. It's you can't rewrite history. You can't go back and I mean, I guess everyone can have their own feelings, but I can't enjoy it and then turn turn back and say, well, you know, forget those guys because they were using roids. No, they brought great joy to a lot of people. They brought back baseball. They broke the records. And like you said, if if the majority of people were using, it wasn't even playing field. And a guy that always brings a rational response was a big part of last night's documentary, Bob Costas. I say there's a distinction between criminality or morality and authenticity. There are plenty of people in sports who have done things worse on a societal basis than taking performance-enhancing drugs. And on the other hand, some of those who took performance-enhancing drugs are among the nicest people you'd ever meet. So we're in a very murky area if we try to say, well, this guy did steroids and he's a bad human being. Or, well, you know, so-and-so, when I was a kid, never would have taken steroids. How do you know? They weren't available. So... I don't make those kind of moral judgments, but I say flatly and with complete assurance that the statistics and in some cases the records of people who are known juicers are inauthentic. Relative to the rest of baseball, to baseball history, yes, they are. Because, as Bob said, steroids weren't available to those players. Bob Gibson said he probably would have taken them had they been available to him. Highly competitive guy. Can you imagine that? Yeah, and a lot of 
players in the 60s and 70s used amphetamines, which were able to allow them to play a six-month season, 162 games. So uh, in the broad scheme of things, yes, those numbers from that slice of time, 1998 through 2001, they're inauthentic. But for that slice of time, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, those guys were all playing on a, as far as I'm concerned, a level playing field. That's why I'm with you. I, It doesn't bother me. I don't care. They weren't disallowed at that time. There wasn't a collectively bargained a rule against performance enhancers. Or And by the way... People say, well, it was a federal crime. No, with what we know McGuire took, you could go into GNC and buy that mm-hmm. at that time. So I, I don't think you can begrudge somebody for playing on the level playing field. Do I feel bad for the guys that didn't? Yeah, but you didn't. And that's part of the deal. That's, I think, the slippery slope is that while I don't point the finger at them and say, I'm going to erase everything you did. I do think that for the players who didn't want to do that and put that in their bodies, if they're looking around and saying everyone else is doing this, I have I either have I have two choices. I can either get on the bandwagon, start using and continue to play or I'm going to fall by the wayside. It's it's those players in the middle there that have to make that choice. And that really stinks for them to know that those are their only two choices. But I just think there's so much gray area with the substances that players are using and what is considered okay and what is considered not Mm -hmm. okay. You talked about amphetamines. We saw articles about a ton of players getting fake prescriptions to use Adderall because it stayed locked in and it gave them energy. We've heard players talking about Toradol, things that mask pain and allow players to keep playing. It's it's just interesting to me what we decide is okay and what we decide is not okay. Yeah, who are we to decide, right? At, at the end of the day. But there's always going to be something at some point that is a chemical or something that yep. is being used to help these players play this game. Because your body is not made to, to do these things that people are doing. No, and... When you look at what happened with Ryan Braun and Alex Rodriguez, they didn't test positive with the biogenesis thing down in Florida. They were finding a way to circumvent the system. And I have to believe that there's probably a guy or two now that have found a way to circumvent the system. It's just the way, that's human nature. You're going to look for an advantage. How many guys who are already in the Hall of Fame, I'm sure, if you gave them truth, they were saying, these are the things I was doing. Yeah, well, there are guys in the Hall of Fame that played into their 40s, there are pitchers that started throwing harder at the age of 38. Not that they didn't already throw hard, but well, at least one that's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Cardinals had a couple of guys from that A's team that played well into their 40s effectively. Uh, there was another really good power speed guy who played well into his 40s from those A's teams. Uh, there was a lot of suspicions Mike Piazza has had to mm-hmm. deny, deny, deny. Uh, about him, the, the Astros guys, Biggio and Bagwell, they've yep. had to deny, 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 but the suspicions were there. But who's to say they didn't use steroids? Yet they're in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up on this day last year, yes, our celebration of the one year anniversary is not over because we had a little parade one year ago today. We'll talk about our recollections of that next on 101 ESPN. One year ago today, we celebrated the Blues Stanley Cup Championship Parade, and 
I know a lot of friends and family had the opportunity to go through that celebration together, which was awesome. And Michelle and I have known each other, and we've been Blues fans together for a long time. And the fact that we got to experience Game Seven against Game Six against San Jose, uh, and then the parade, we got the, the chance to work together. That's that's part of what makes that a great memory for me. Is me that too. we got a chance to do that together and. The Blues, I think, Michelle, forever changed the championship parade because we've seen so many of the duck boat parades in in Boston where you don't have access to the players and they can't get off of those giant things. Blues players really did want to share that celebration with the fans and they did by getting off of their vehicles and making it a walking parade. It wasn't even about the players anymore. It was about St. Louis as a collective, and the players were part of that. And I remember where we were stationed, Randy. It was pretty early along the parade route, and I didn't really know what to expect. I knew the guys were coming off partying, and I knew that they were going to be amped up, but it was pretty quickly into the parade where I realized, okay, this is not what we think it's going to be. This is going to be the biggest party that we have ever seen. Because I I, rem- I think it might have been Jordan Bennington or maybe Braden Shen was one of the earlier players that I kind of followed around who hopped off, who had a bottle of champagne, was shaking it up, spraying it into the crowd. Anytime that anybody had the cup, they were walking around with it, going and giving it to the crowd. Even just going up high-fiving with people, taking selfies with people. The players didn't want to be confined to the cars and do the pageant wave. They said no. Right. St. Louis has waited 50 plus years for this moment. We are going to make sure that they feel this with us. And we do want to know what you were doing on that day of the Blues Parade. I think, and I'm not positive about this, but I think that Brett Hall may have been drinking. Look at the history! Could have imagined how this day would ever end! And it never has. That I just I I envision him on that stage with that shirt of himself flipping off Boston fans, uh-huh. Ric Flair drip. I it's just the whole thing was so perfect. It was epic. And Holly, who is never at a loss for words, wasn't. Because you know what it reminds me of, Randy? It reminds me of Michael Jordan's The Ceiling is the Roof speech Mm -hmm. at North Carolina where 
uh, part of you is like, what? And then you're like, whatever. The ceiling is the roof. <laughs> He's like, we don't have to go blues. We went blues. And there, the crowd, you could kind because of, you and I were standing on a platform overlooking the crowd, and you could kind of see the crowd at first be like, huh? And they're like, whatever. <laughs> we, we went blues. <laughs> <laughs> another guy who had, well, there were a lot of people. We all had a fun day. But another guy who had a particularly fun day was Pat Maroon. I'm a hometown hero, baby! Put your glasses up right now, St. Louis! Look around right now! We're Stanley Cup champions, baby! Can you imagine it being any better for anybody anywhere than it was for Pat Maroon, the hometown hero in St. Louis last year? It, it, how could it be any better for anybody anywhere? Life doesn't get better than that moment. No. And you and I walked with him for some time. Yeah. We walked down Market Street and we took that right. We're right by the arch to get to go down the arch grounds. And we walked with him for a good 20, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I have the most amazing photos of him hoisting the cup with the arch yeah. right there. And the crowd is just going crazy. And once he had given the cup off to somebody else, I, I was walking with him. And people were throwing him Bud Lights from the crowd. <laughs> and he would catch it with one hand, grab grab a key, and then he would just slam it. And then he would toss it away. And then he would be walking. And somebody would throw him another Bud Light. He would grab it. He would slam it. It was just... It was perfect. It was was perfection. And I know, Randy, these are divisive times, but I think we can all agree on one thing, that hockey players are the absolute best. Yeah, there's no doubt. They really did and do want to interact with their fans. And even when things were bad, and the the Blues will point this out, as down as we in the media would get on that team, the fans kept coming. They kept showing up, and they kept hoping mm-hmm. that something would happen. And it turned into, finally, Bob Plager's long-awaited parade. Well, first of all, it's unbelievable. I've been here. I was very fortunate. I came here the first year, played the first game. My goal was to win a Stanley Cup. I never got to win it three times there. But this year, I got my parade. And it was a heck of a parade. And I'll tell you, as happy as I am for myself, the players, I've run into some people that have been season ticket here for 50-some years, 40-some years. I see them now. They got tears in their eyes. I am more happy for you than anybody else here. Thank you, St. Louis. You're the greatest fan. And that's who I was happiest for because uh, we've talked to a lot of people over the course of the last couple of weeks during uh, the lead up to the championship, the anniversary of the championship. And I'm happy for everybody. I'm happy for a guy like Kelly Chase and and Bernie Federico, who literally, I mean, those guys got cut. They did leave blood on Mm -hmm. the ice. But Bob Plager did it for 52 years and finally was able to get that Stanley Cup. Here's someone who's so invested in that franchise and them them winning that he couldn't even watch the games. Yeah. He would have to pace back and forth in the press box because he, he it was so torturous for him. He wanted it so badly he couldn't even watch. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that day was so perfect. And when I think about it, we've seen Cardinals parades and 
and they've been great. I don't want to take anything away from them. But when I think about the Blues versus the Cardinals, the Cardinals are kind of like our ideal selves, right? They're they're a crown jewel franchise. They're, they do things the right way. Those parades were very regal. They're very elegant. It's they're on they're there and we're looking at them in awe. The Blues are us. Yeah. The Blues are the human side of us. They can you imagine Cardinals players slamming beers like that and jumping off fire trucks to spray champagne into the crowd? It was just that parade and watching those players interact with fans was the personification of 50 years of wanting something and partying to celebrate. I want to get to some texts, and we thank you for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 636. Met both y'all at the parade, took a pic with RK, and stupidly did not get one with Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> no, we trust both, me, you, you made the right call. <laughs> we were both there that day from the 314. The Cardinals wouldn't do what the Blues did in the parade. We've seen who baseball really is with these negotiations quotes. Uh, I was one of the famous ones, this from the 636, that Robert Thomas poured beers on and chugged <laughs> uh, with that Ruth, uh, chugged that Rutherford talks about. Uh, yeah, that was Robert Thomas had a good day. Uh, so did Sanford. A lot. Let's just say this. They all had a good day, Randy. Yeah. One of my favorite things from that day was how many players took babies from the crowd that people were just so <laughs> yeah. happiness drunk that they were like, take my baby. And then mm-hmm. they were like, they're looking at this hockey player who has been soaking in alcohol for three days. And they're like, <laughs> take my baby and then <laughs> to take this picture. And no one even blinked an eye. They were like, yes, hand the child over to this blues player. It's the greatest moment of the baby's life. And uh, here's one from the 618. One of the best days of my life. O'Reilly grabbed my beer and chugged it in front of me. This is what we're talking about, right? I cheered beers with Shen and Steiner. Ended up going uh, to, to the rally. Couldn't find a bathroom anywhere. Ended up having to pee in my cooler in the middle of the crowd and decided to leave it there. <laughs> Yikes. But you know what you got to do? What you got to do. Uh Randy, this is from the 314. My husband and I met you at the Metrolink station. You showed us the pic of the tat you were getting. You were always so nice. Great day indeed. Thank you, uh, Sharon and Glencoe. I, I had it designed by that point. And got Gosh. It a few days I couldn't take a step with you, Randy, without people screaming about the tat. That was so funny. They were so invested in that. Yeah, and now I am too. Yes, now you are <laughs> invested for life. And here's something that uh, from the... Uh, from the non-emotional Jordan Bennington, all right? Uh, do I look scared? I mean, that's Jordan Bennington. Do I look that's, nervous? Right? Do I, do I look nervous? So here is Jordan Bennington after getting a win. Does he look nervous to you? How is this feel? You want to see some f-ing emotions? We're baby! Awesome. Love that team. Yeah, me too. And uh, uh, hopefully they will get back. They're supposed to start training camp on the 10th. And a different way to go about it, but they're certainly capable of winning another Stanley Cup and giving us another socially distanced parade. Last thing I'll say on this, how grateful now, looking back, are we that we got that moment? Because if the Blues would have come back, if they if they lost Game 7, I don't even want to speak of it, but if they would have lost Game 7 and we would have been that close and then the Blues are playing well, no, they're at the top of the Western Conference heading into the postseason, and then everything stops. And first of all, the agony we would feel would be unbearable. But then if they would go on win and we couldn't have that parade the way that we have waited and dreamed, that parade was anything. It was better than anything I had ever dreamed it could be. And the fact that we might not have had that moment if they would have won this year instead of last year, I'm just so grateful that it happened the way that it did. Michelle, uh, 
when I go home, like when I go down my basement, I go down the steps and then you have to make a left turn to walk down some more steps. First thing you see is a dozen Stanley Cup uh, golf balls. You look to your left, you see a, a Stanley Cup popcorn <laughs> maker that Ranji gave me. You walk into the theater room and there's the photo of uh, from the on the ice. You've got two Stanley Cup banners in there. I'm going to go home and look at those because I, don't, I, I just didn't want to hear you say that there was a possibility we could lose game seven. After I saw Craig Berube's speech in the locker room, there was no way they were losing that game. No way. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Take it or leave it. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Teoli. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for a little game of Take It or Leave It. And Colin Surrey is with us and has the questions. Colin, take it away. A man in India has written two elephants into his will, giving them half his property when he passes away. He says he's doing so because one of those elephants saved him from an attempted murder. The elephants are being given the land instead of his wife or children. If you're the wife, this is cause for divorce. Take it or leave it. Well, he's dead. But uh, no, I'm going to leave that. I... If an elephant, did the wife ever save his life? We don't know. (laughs) But we do know that he believes the elephant did. And that elephant can be protected from people that might come and hunt it. The elephant can be fed by being a part of uh, this gentleman's will. So I have no problem with, A, him leaving his belongings to the elephant. And, B, I don't think that it's grounds for divorce. I'm going to leave it as well. I don't think it's grounds for divorce. And if I'm the wife and I really love my husband that much and the elephant saved his life, I would also want to gift the elephant something in the will. But I would just want to make sure that whoever is taking care of the elephants is somebody that would be worthy of the land, etc. Because they're the ones that are probably going to have to execute that, Yeah, you don't want Joe Exotic. No, exactly. I don't want Joe Exotic getting the money in the land. Now, what I wonder is... Was the elephant, did it physically like lift him up and get him out of a tenuous situation? Yeah. Or was it an emotional support elephant that saved his life? We need more details on this elephant mm-hmm. life rescue because I am intrigued. Yeah, me too. We've got one from the 314 on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Take it or leave it. If the Blues win the Stanley Cup, St. Louis shuts down 40 for a social distant parade. I'm going to take it because I think St. Louis is going to figure out a way to have a party one way or the other, whether it's shutting. And I I love how you can always tell what side you're from because I say 64 and the most side people say 40. So when people say 40, I have to register like what is that oh it's 64 got it um (laughs) but yeah i think that the city would say hey i know that other people are trying to get to brunch or whatever but we have a parade to do so you're gonna have to take an alternate route so we'll figure something out i think it's a great idea and yes i'm going to take it when 40 was closed down for a couple of years right here in the creve core area when they reopened it they reopened it to foot and bicycle traffic before they reopened it to car traffic and I went up there and I rode my bike for whatever the stretch was several miles and it was very cool and I can see how we could do a socially distanced parade when when the Blues win their second consecutive Stanley Cup. I'm in and I think that people need to start uh, thinking about options now so that we can figure Good out thought. a way to have it you know, done safely. Yep, I know that there are a lot of community leaders mm-hmm. 
the uh, county executive, friend of the station, Sam Page, and Lida Cruson and their staffs listen. So let's get that ball rolling for yes. our socially distanced parade down 40, the Jack Buck Memorial Highway. I wonder how long in advance city officials had to start thinking of parade plans if and when the Blues win because they knew that the parade was going to be quickly yeah. after. It's not something that you can really just throw together in a 2000, couple of days. 2000, Michelle. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. 19 years. Yeah, a long <laughs> Maybe time. Maybe 96. But, but you know how superstitious we all are. I right. imagine there, there was somebody, a county official, that was like, I don't want to plan this because mm-hmm. if we do, we're going to disrupt the hockey gods. So that has to be a sticky situation because oh. you need the plan in place, but you also don't want to, you know, superstition-wise, really go there yet. It, it was planned... The night of Game 6, we knew that there was going to be a parade, and people were thinking, oh, we shouldn't have done that. (laughs) From the 618, take it or leave it, the NFL will play regular season games with full-capacity stadiums this year. I'm going to leave it. Nobody will play with full-capacity stadiums in 2019. Not even SEC? No. Even they will be distanced. The universities. That I'm definitely leaving out. They're... they're, uh, Really, bastions? Uh, bastions of higher education in the SEC? <laughs> <laughs> so there's an alternate reading of the Mayan calendar that suggests that the end of the world is coming next week. With no sports and a pandemic still swirling, the Mayans might be onto something. The Mayans, have, Mayans have tried this before, and it has never worked. I'm going to leave that. They've lost any credibility with me. They said the world was going to end before. Yeah, normally I'd leave it and say, hey, Mayans, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But honestly, rating nothing would surprise me. Literally nothing would surprise me at this point. So I might have to take it. By the way, I have seen the Mayan ruins in Mexico. They aren't predicting anything right now. (laughs) They already had the end of their world. (laughs) How can they predict the end of ours? I wonder, I would love to know how they arrived on the date next week as the end of the world. And they did have, it was December 21st of 2012, the last time that the Mayan calendar predicted the end of the world. Mm, That didn't work. Not for them, worked for us. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) On Saturday, Cam Newton posted a video on social media throwing passes to Odell Beckham Jr. at a practice field at UCLA. Mm -hmm. Cam Newton would be a great fit as a backup in Cleveland, take it or leave it. I am going to leave that because I don't think that Baker Mayfield is as mentally strong as he'd lead you to believe. I think he'd be freaked out by Cam Newton being his backup. I'm leaving it for the exact same reason. It has nothing to do with Cam Newton and the fit that he could potentially be there. And it has everything to do with Baker Mayfield and the fact that the Browns really need this one to succeed. And why would you invite all of those comparisons? And if Baker has a bad game, people clamoring for Cam. I, If I'm the Browns, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole, which means that they'll probably do it. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. And thank you for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. This was Parade Day, and that'll be part of our fresh take coming up next with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.